Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturday. It's Anna David here, your host, your cheerful host. She's cheerful today. She's talking about herself in the third person for no reason. You know what? This is episode 25. Guess who decided to just get organized and count what number episode this was? I noticed, because I'm observant that way, that other podcasts oftentimes said, welcome to episode 364 or whatever it was, and that I never said that I'm not great with numbers, but it does, that doesn't mean I can't count, and so I did. And so this is episode 25, which feels like a really good number to be on, don't you think? Quarter? Um, I, you may have noticed, you noticed, right, that there was a new theme song. That was written, as always, by Seth Rothschild. Uh, that guy is so good. Are you following him on Twitter, etc.? Because, because he's so good. Basically, what I told him was that I, you know, the show had a bit of a midlife crisis, which is not to say that there's only going to be 50 episodes. It's just that I started to realize that a couple things, like the Venn diagram of who I wanted on the podcast and who was sober and open about being sober, that, that, that crossover was getting smaller and smaller. And I started to think, well, that's no good. We can't run out of people. It's not a good business model or whatever. And I started to think also how to make the topic more universal. And so then I thought, most people who have any sort of brain, I don't mean that. Most people who are like into some sort of a spiritual path, or have reached a certain point in life, possibly any person of 40 years old and older, has reached a point where um, they've had to overcome something, if not many things. And so I decided I want to open this up. I want to open this up to people who can talk about overcoming depression, uh, mental illness, maybe someone who's lost 300 pounds. I don't know, 100 pounds. I I don't have a pound idea in mind. But I do know that that I want to include those people. And I did go through this whole thing. You know, I'm a very dramatic thinker, so I thought, oh my God, I have to change the title and I have to do all this. And and that seemed problematic. I did come up with some new titles before realizing that I didn't have to change the title and we could just change, change the theme music a little bit and include those people. So you have Seth Rothschild to thank for that. Now, guest today, really so delightful, Jason Waller. Do you remember that guy? He was on Laguna Beach in the Hills. Don't pretend you didn't watch those shows. We all, they were all, they were our collective guilty pleasure. Okay, maybe I'm just talking to me. 
they, I was definitely a viewer. And he, you know, it's funny because we were talking about how he was considered a douchebag on the show. And he, I mean, comparatively speaking, there was Spencer Pratt, right? So I never thought he seemed Jason so douchey. But anyway, he did get a, arrested a lot uh, for things like related to addiction, related to substances. And then he showed up on that season of Celebrity Rehab that had Janice Dickinson on it. And I told you I'm not good with numbers, so I don't know what number episode. But, but and he, he seemed really serious about his sobriety, and he really was because he, um, he's now sober uh, three or four years. Told you, number's not my thing. And he's so into it. If you guys could have seen him, he's like all like, not in a suit, but just like super dressed. Like, just t- he takes it seriously. And he's got that, you know, that passion to talk about addiction and recovery. He has no interest in being like on a TV show. Um, and so he works uh, in treatment and he t- will tell us all about it. He um, And he's earning his KDAC, which is that program that I was enrolled in and dropped out. So... I'm impressed. And, um, you know, and it's sort of his life mission to help. It's very similar to mine, you know, sort of try to change uh, the perception of addiction and recovery and destigmatize it. And he's doing all sorts of things to do that. And he's just a total delight and really, really, really sweet. So uh, listen to him, check it out, send me emails, tweets, Facebook messages, letters, telegrams about what you think of this episode and and the new song i want to hear what you think of the new song okay love you guys bye i first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash oh my god i think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it party animal i hate to say that because that makes me sound paris hilton i was on the as i call it the autobahn to nowhere i'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad Yeah, it's happening. Okay, since, you know, it was that... Jason Waller, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. So, but you were saying something interesting, and I, and I did that thing that I'll do, which is to say, stop talking because we're not recording. I'm used to girls saying that, so... <laughs> so, what you were saying was really interesting, <laughs> which is that... Which is, we were talking um, about, you know, you blogging for the Huffington Post in the wake of the Philip Seymour Hoffman died. How in, I mean, in terms of seeing how, where society is, in terms of their understanding about addiction, didn't you think the way that was reported and what came out was fascinating? I just thought a lot of what was, I mean, for me personally, I'll kind of go into what my, you know, interpretation of everything yeah. was. I was kind of, I basically was writing about the Philip Seymour Hoffman thing in relation to what I've experienced personally. Right. And that's how I do everything. I'm not like, hey, this is what you need to do. This is what, how you do. I, I share my personal truths and experiences and whatever comes up of it is, is what yeah. it is. And the thing I related to is, you know, people were like, oh, he, I, and I never read the comments or stuff, but I mean, just, yeah. just being affiliated with a lot of the, the addiction stuff, I was focused on, you know, oh, it's his fault. Oh, it's, you know, he deserved that. Da, da, da. Or he was selfish. He was selfish and stuff like that. And for me personally, what I talked about was how I could relate to that in so many levels. And I gave the example of I had a party, I would have multiple parties at my house, but I'd have, you know, 50 to 100 people over and I'd go in my bathroom by myself and snort a bunch of cocaine right. and, and really? pound a bottle of vodka yeah. and come out with a beer and like, you know, come back to the, everything's fine. Right. But just that, you know, that total, you know, 
uh, isolation and, and just that total misery of what I was suffering. I could relate to that. It's like this guy wasn't like at a raging party or something like that. Not that that would matter. The guy died in his bathroom with a needle in his arm. That doesn't sound too glorifying to me. No. I mean, the guy was super sad, super depressed. I think he had a he was in a premeditated relapse prior to him even using. I mean, he I think he lost touch with his program is what happened. That's yeah. that's my you know input on it. Yeah. Some people could believe it or not believe it, but I can relate to a lot of what he was going through, especially being you know knowledgeable on multiple different treatments because I've been a lot of times and just even when I was how many rehabs total did you go to nine nine so yeah I mean and technically the one that worked was the celebrity rehab one or no you were sober I was sober going into celebrity rehab and I went there as contradicting as it sounds I went into celebrity rehab to show the public that I'm not as crazy as TMZ or Perez Hilton may make me because that show was a real reality show where they follow you around I mean you only can act as stupid as you act and I literally was a background prop on the show I know you were so boring and great because yeah and, and I mean, I guess like, I mean, that is a good way to do it. Be super. Because well, my sponsor, yeah. everybody that was engaged in my program going into it, I only had a little bit of time going into it, you know, but everybody advised not to do it. And I was yeah, like, look at, this is why I'm doing it. And I know you don't believe in it, but this is what I know I need to do. And it worked out because of this. I mean, everything happens for a reason. I'm here today talking with you and I, right. that had to do something with that setup. And, you know, I have a very close relationship with our friend, Dr. Drew. Right. I mean, very close and do a lot of work with Bob Forrest. And, right. you know, I'm able to be able to speak about this. And it's something that is very close to me. It's a passion and stuff. I mean, you know, a lot of people know my addiction not, you know, only took me to not contemplating but attempting suicide. Yeah. And, I mean, it took me to the darkest places. And, you know, just to be able to share my personal truths and experiences, if it can help people, great. If not, I, you know, take someone else's advice. But I'm just trying to there to raise awareness and Did give insight. Did you ever think you'd end up being this guy are you kidding there's i mean this is like the last guy you probably thought there there's no i mean four years ago for you to you know say i would be you know the likelihood of me becoming and working in addiction or being somebody that is a spokesperson for it is the likelihood of me becoming a police officer or something that just was not going to happen right, right not that i have anything against police or anything but right. it was just it like just that's not my forte realm. yeah so um you know but anything can happen and you know, I believe honestly, God put me here for a reason. That was to, you know, the shows and stuff with the success of them. I feel like I was, you know, it was His plan almost. It was a, a oh really to, to yeah. be to be caught up in in you know the the negativity and the the public humiliation and stuff. And it turned around for the better. I think He put me in that spot to show that you can get through addiction. And you know, I want to be a voice for it. And there's not too many people that are doing that. You mm-hmm. know, especially in the entertainment business and. I don't think I'm some special person that's in there. I think I'm, you know, your average Joe, but I think I've had a lot of, you know, personal and public trials and tribulations that I can share on that people go through every day, you know, just because they're not on a show and it's not glorified, uh, like they made it, you know, to the public, they can still relate to it, you know? So, okay. So what was your first drink? What was my first drink? When was it? How old were you? Jeez. You're going to do that to me? Uh Uh-huh. Uh... I want to say like 14. Mm-hmm. Was, do you remember? I really, I do. What happened? What was it like? I was actually scared. The first drink I had, I, I drank a couple, because I was very active. I was very, into you know, sports. just into sports and everything growing up. And, you know, I, I, I didn't have any crazy trauma growing up. That's the right. thing. That's a, for me, I had a very, if, if anything, privileged life. I had parents right. that were still married. I had a very supportive family. And they were so lovely on the it, show. It, I still remember the parent thing. Thank you. so nice and normal. But the, and, and like, that's the thing is it's for me it wasn't like i'm trying to escape like so i had a couple beers and i actually pretended that i was like whoa man this is so true you know wait your first drink the first couple i pretended that i was i actually got intoxicated but i i had two beers i remember and i wasn't 
it was just kind of like, okay. How, what was the circumstance? A friend said, hey, we should drink beer. It was just kind of like I had started smoking cigars and like a cigarette okay. here and there. You know, so it was just right. kind of like we should get some beer. And our, our brothers, for, our, my one of my best friend's brothers, I remember it exactly. He was 19, had his fake ID. We were like, dude, right. get us some beer. Yeah. We got two six-packs. You know, right. one of the, the other friend got super... Super annihilated, passed out right away. Right. And me and my friend were fucking with them the whole time. Excuse right. me, but right. you, can you know we were just doing that whole thing. And uh, to me, I was I I got to the point where I was like, dude, I do not want to be like that. I mean, because I was sipping on it. Right. You know, I, and I I was a very normal drinker at fourteen. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> it took, a, took a minute. But it, awesome. it, it only took a couple of years. But uh, you know, it was it was interesting. I remember it very 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 vividly what had happened. I remember the truck we got picked it up out of from. I mean, like everything. But so, but, and yet it wasn't this magical aha moment. This is what I've been seeking my whole life. If anything, I was, I was fear of it and fear of of what it was going to do. I liked having control over my thoughts and I like, you know, being present and, you know, I was in a good state of mind at that age and I had a lot of, a lot going on positively, you know. Do you have alcoholism at all in your family? Like an uncle? Oh, do we? Oh, interesting. We have, I'd say half my family suffers from addiction. Okay. At least. And we have a very, very large family. Okay. Oh, so you cousins. Cousins, aunts, uncles, and did grandparents. did you grow up hearing about that or n- noticing it or not really? Well, to be honest with you, I, another thing, I mean, I was very blessed is in my, my parents and stuff. It didn't hit like my parents. Right. And I was too young to really know what was going on with like, even though I was, you know, in my teenage years, I didn't know, like my parents were very kept the issues with my older brother and stuff confined you know they weren't going to elaborate to me what's going on how much older is he he's eight years older than me okay so that's significant like it's it's not like he's a year or two older so i mean it was and it would do no good by them telling me anyways i'd just be this fear and just kind of like oh my god that's the brother i look up to both of them i look up to so you have it's three kids all together four of us okay is there a girl yeah there's my sister's the oldest she's 36 my other brother's 33 and then my closest in age brother's 30 30 and he was the one who was getting in trouble? The oldest. The oldest. Because I'm 27, yeah, so if he's... It's like a six, seven-year difference, whatever so it is. he would get in trouble. You didn't know. And, and it was, but his stuff wasn't like he was getting arrested all the time and crazy stuff. It was just more of school, you know, dealing with grades. I mean, he had public intoxication and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I know this now, but it was very hush-hush in the beginning. Right, right. And then, of course... Okay, so then you, you, you know, it es- when does it escalate from the, like, two beers and I'm sort of... Faking it to, uh, like, really I, loving it. I'd say, like, 17, 18. Okay. 17, I mean, 18 was when it was, like, I was crushing vodka, like, constantly. And, okay, and and it would, had Laguna Beach started then? It was pro- it was it was a little bit before it was probably six months to a year before Laguna Beach was filming. That was like seventeen, eighteen. So it was actually like early seventeen, sixteen. Not what we're talking about like now. It's, right. it's late sixteens, early into seventeens is when it I started drinking, you know, pretty heavily. But it was still it wasn't like an everyday thing. It was right. you know Friday. It was like a weekend warrior stuff. Friday, right. Saturday. And it's fun. You're mm. having fun. And and it's little things started to surface. You know, I got a public you know intoxication and but i mean like the party at the house got raided you know it was just a bunch of cops came and right. minor in possessions and but all the stuff that was going on it wasn't like obviously looking back i could see where there's concerns but just from somebody's standpoint looking at the situation it's just be, us kids being in high school experimenting and stuff like that yeah. there was no wasn't like we were doing these crazy crazy things you know i mean i was still right. cautious of not drinking and driving and still caught you know i mean there was a lot of stuff I mean, that's not normal to have, you know, to even think about anyways. But 
That's what I never know. I mean, I grew up obviously as like an alcoholic teen. I didn't know that at the time, and I and I was surrounded by people who were the same. It was obviously totally normal that you were like looking to get your fake ID and that you were like going to get busted by cops. Like, well, and, and I get that. now that it's not normal that other kids are not growing up like that. But I had no idea. But it didn't help though that I had facial hair at seventeen years old, oh. and I could go into most liquor stores honestly and just buy alcohol. They, didn't card you? They just. Assumed. I've always I, I've always looked older than right. my age, and, right. and I mean, it, when I looked, I, I think it was a lot of people that just didn't really care. I mean, in Laguna and stuff, but I mean, some places really believed that I was, you know, twenty. Because a lot of the friends I hung out with too, it wasn't like I looked like I was older and then I had a bunch of young kids with me. It was like a lot of my friends were older. I didn't have anybody, right. you know what I mean? So right. guys that were really eighteen, nineteen, twenty, you know, when I was seventeen. So I, I kind of like fit in with them. They all had fake IDs, but. I mean, I had so you access. Use your brother's ID or anything. I always had access. Oh, I did steal his ID once in the beginning. Yeah, that didn't work out too well. Oh, really? Yeah, he wanted to give me a beat down. So really? Yeah, he was he was pissed because he had to go to the DMV and get a new ID and all that stuff. So oh, I had to make amends about that for sure. Um, I bought a fake birth certificate when I was like nineteen, <laughs> and I went to the DMV in California and got like that's. I didn't know they had fake. You could buy fake birth certificates. Well, the the thing was, it was somebody who went to Cal, and his dad was a gynecologist, and that was like the big thing. He had the stamp. There's like a California stamp, and he was like, "This is, you know, this is how we can do it." We got the California stamp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, crazy well, stuff. So, so like, kind of evolving from all that when things started going crazy and stuff. You know, then the show came out, and then I mean, that's when things. I mean, that's when shit started to hit the fan. I mean, most kids at eighteen, right? You know, were looking for fake IDs or stuff like that. I was. You know, my friends were looking for fake IDs, and I was being paid to travel and party. So you get on the show, and were you ever like, "Oh my God, I you know I drink a lot. Maybe I should be careful uh, when these cameras are on me." Or I I mean, on the show, I mean, there was a lot of times. There was times definitely when I was drunk, but there was a lot of times where I wasn't. I mean, they filmed on the week. It's not like they could film during school hours and stuff like that. So a lot of the times they caught us was when we were actually outside of the element of school and stuff like that. Right. but I honestly, as much as, you know, as, as a douche as I came off and different things like that, I just, you know, I partied. I, I'd say it wasn't like the norm. I mean, I definitely partied harder than other, most of the kids. But I mean, there was a large group of us that were, we kept up with each other. And right. I just thought I was going to grow out of it, honestly. Yeah. I'm not going to accept the fact that I'm having all this fun, getting paid all this money. And, you know, I'm going to say, oh, I'm an alcoholic. I mean, there's no right. way. So when did you, so, okay, so you're on Laguna Beach. And um, and it's all working. Mm-hmm. Did your ego? When did your or did it ever get totally out of control? When you were just like, oh god, I am so interesting mm-hmm. that I am worth. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Since that's well, not you're still is, in your formative years, your brain the brain is not fully formed till which one. Well, I think anybody. I mean, naturally, the human wants to be liked by people and, right. and just stuff like that. So I mean, obviously, when you go from just going to school and, and going to baseball and you know surfing and stuff and then you go outside and people are like can we get your photo people are running up to you I mean your ego naturally is just going to build Respond, yeah and like so you had healthy self-esteem from your I family. did growing up and stuff and I mean but I had you know insecurities about things a lot of people wouldn't know that I had growing like up that just insecurities with looks and just you know because I mean I felt like I had a lot of friends and stuff but even though on the outside I, it was there a lot of it internally to me it didn't feel like it was there it was just a lot of unsureness about myself right, and right. I always you know needed uh, you know people to either it was like stroke the ego or you know get, you know basically you know make me believe what I would you know I'd question things and I'd make yeah. sure that I'd get the answers I wanted to hear just yeah reassuring that's exactly the word I was looking for but so I mean there's a lot of uh you know, a lot of signs that at the immediate time I didn't see as a, you know, raising red flags. Now right. that I look at it, I'm able to talk about it. But, um, so there was a lot of that going on and, you know, just a lot of uncertainty of myself. But I mean, 
my drinking and stuff, I mean, everything, the, my favorite quote, and I say this almost on every interview or radio mm-hmm. show or anything, is I had, I had, and I still suffer sometimes from an overinflated ego with an right. underestimated sense of self-worth. And I think a lot of that came from, from the shows. Because people are like, oh, do you blame? I was going through a bunch of old magazines and stuff. My mom was able to save a bunch of PR stuff. And, right. Which was cool because I was able to see certain things like, oh, the hills made me a drunk or Laguna Beach. And it's just like, it really didn't. It, right. it, it escalated things. It made things happen much quicker because of the excess and all that stuff that I had from it. So, right. if anything, so, I'm, you, I'm you, thankful for it. Right, because you got to get sober younger. Exactly. You yeah. know, and, and that's like, people will try to say that even to me. Like, LA made you an addict. Anybody who, and it's like, and I say, you know, if I went to Des Moines and I was on a farm, I would have found the farmhand with Michelle Cook on the side. Like, that just was how I worked, you know? Well, that's, it's, that's a simple saying of there you go, there you are. I mean, yeah. wherever you go, you're going to be present with it. And I have that ism. So, I mean, regard, like like I said, the shows escalated everything much quicker. Right. If I wasn't on the shows, I went to college and stuff like that, maybe I would have found out at a young age still. But my guess is that eventually it would have been over time and I could have been 30 with kids. And, you know, it just it was a slow progression. That's right. where Drew, I think, nailed it on the head. It's like it just added fuel to the fire. Right, right. What have you? When I came into recovery, I started to hear like exactly what you said. Um, the like, I'm the piece of crap in the center of the universe. Have you, you've heard that one. Yeah. You love that one. Yeah. And I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. Kind of, uh-huh. you know. That's my favorite one. It nails. It's so. It's just so right, and it's so. I don't know for you, but like for me, that was like I would never have connected that to my partying. Or, like, what does that have to do with, like, what I do at night or whatever? A hundred percent. No, it, it really does. And that's, but that's where a lot of those signs and stuff, like, there was a lot of denial, too. I mean, because when I did start getting into trouble, like, a perfect example of of a lot of that is, you know, I'd be sitting there, and this is after, like, I got arrested four times in six months in four different states, all in appearances or at the VMAs or something like that. And I was sitting there. And it ties into this whole thing that I have. I have a, a mug shot, which I'll get into after. But okay. I'd be sitting there looking at the screen like, oh, my God, drinking. Like, I can't believe I got arrested again. I mean, obviously, I think there was a problem. But I'd be sitting there. That's the insanity of it. Right. Like, I'm sitting there drinking my sorrows away. Why did this happen as I'm drinking? Right. And it's like, well, because that happened. Because what you're doing right now, you know, like. Did you think it was bad luck? You just thought you were terribly unlucky? <laughs> or being targeted or something? At one point, I mean, that's how much denial I was yeah. in. I believe that. But, I mean, which which is amazing now how I've utilized and don't dwell on things in the past like I used to. Like I said, I used to drink over stuff like that. I actually have a picture of a, out of the 10 mug shots I have of an 8 by 10 of my favorite but most humiliating you know, time in the public. It was everybody related to the Mel Gibson mugshot where my eyes are super pen, too, totally cracked out. But I have that by my toothbrush, and it's been there the last three and a half years, almost four years since I've been sober. So I can look at that. And that was the picture I used to drink over, like, not just looking at the picture, but the, all the stuff that would come yeah, out in the media. Okay. I would keep drinking over that and trying to, you know, push it away. But that's something now that I look at as a reminder not to dwell on anymore, but something to, you know, remind me. And Why it's like, you're it, sober. Exactly. It's like, okay, you can dwell on that and go back to that, or you right. can use it as a motivation to move forward. So, okay, so when did drugs come into it? Drugs are always in and out. Really? Yeah. Cocaine, mostly. It was all that was crazy. my favorite. Coke, yeah. I mean, and I did Coke so I could sober up enough to drink more. Oh, really? And so, I mean, so I wouldn't black out. I knew once I figured out I could do a bunch of blow and I wouldn't black out. Right. I'd rather, just, I'd rather have the horrible come down instead of black. And I, I literally couldn't drink myself. I couldn't drink enough to fall asleep. That's how, right. how much Coke I was doing and how much my body was able to retain alcohol. Right. And you... 
So, and so your arrests were for possession? Like, what were they for? Everything was, so, like, I keep clarifying on all the, the shows. I had one DUI. Okay. Uh, everybody thinks I have, like, 20. Okay. Um, but that's creative to get arrested, like, nine times and only have one DUI. Right? Good so work. It was, like, minor possession. So a lot of them were happening when I was, so minor possession, you know, that happened a couple times. Right. Uh, possession of cocaine. I got possession of cocaine at the VMAs. Uh, How do you get possession of cocaine at the VMAs? Like what? Well, it, was, it was after an after party. It wasn't like at the VMAs. Right, it was that would after, be amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got into it with a horse cop. That was pretty entertaining. What do you mean? So you're at an after party and a it horse was cop me, is there? little John. There was a bunch of us went to this after party, and you know he always goes out with his. He leaves with the his whole crew, and it's me and like a few buddies. Little and stuff. John, the, yeah. Like, okay, okay. It was random. It was yeah. friends from Oakley and stuff were really good. We all, that's how we all entered. There was a lot of, I have a lot of random connections mm-hmm. in the business, but really cool guy. And, you know, when we left, we went in this, this, the back way and then we left, you know, through the front and as opposed to going to where they're directing us, I went and hopped over the gates and a big, a big horse cop came up and just knocked me over, like saving me from going into traffic, but I was in a blackout. But you were on foot? Yeah, I was on foot leaving the club. Okay, so, oh, you're leaving a club and a horse. Okay, because in New York, there's a lot of. Oh, so you know, in New York, okay. I'm in okay. New York at the VMAs, so okay, I'll yeah, make yeah. that more clear. So the, when we went in the club, we went in the back way, and then right. when we came out. I thought I was going to hop over the gate that we went out the front to go back kind of the way we came, but all that was closed off because traffic was moving again and and stuff like that. And they have horse cops out there, right? So I, instead of going with the whole crew, I thought I was you know just being a smartass, right? Jumped over the gate and the big horse cop knocked me over and. Uh, you know, went from there, and I that's it, that's I had coke on me and, and right. stuff like that. So I mean, I wasn't being the most uh, uh, well behaved or you know uh, complying with the officers. Oh, so you weren't? no, were you like I was just you didn't hammered. Do, you didn't do it. Do you know who I am? Did you? No, 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 no. Okay, no, no I was more like get the fuck out of my way. I'm trying to get through to our car because right, our car our car was right next to like like the limo was across the street. So right. I was just trying to get to the car. You right. know. And, of course, I mean, the ego came into play. Where I was just like, dude, come on. We're all trying to get out of here, you know? And everybody's right. like trying to stop what was going on. But I was being erratic. And then I went into like a rage. And Oh, you did? Yeah. So then it just transformed into just a messy situation. Really? So then you got, it wasn't just possession. It was like resisting arrest. Well, it was arrest. resisting arrest. Yeah. So from all those, and then it was, you know, I got arrested for a few times for fighting. Uh, and then... Yeah, it was all. I mean, it was all very similar. I mean, it was yeah. possession or fighting. I mean, it was there was nothing like super out of the norm. And would the network say to you like, "Hey, Jason, you got to clean this up," or did they? No, not, it, was it was amazing. Good to, it was good publicity. They because right. the character like the I was portrayed on the it's show the bad boy. As, as, it, that and just like the guy's guy, the drunk guy, like the right. the, the drunk womanizing, like right. And it played into a character that was beneficial. I mean, it was on. <laughs> it, it went forever. You know what I mean? And. It's nice to have literally a 180, you know, yeah. turn. Yeah. So did anybody say, I'm worried about you? Oh, all the time. Okay. I mean, my, my real friends, you know, honestly, that were had my best interest at heart and stuff were like, dude, you either get clean or we're not going to be around you. And, I mean, over time, I mean, I lost not just a few. I mean, like tens to hundreds of friends. I mean, just like good people and relationships and family members and stuff that weren't going to support it. But when you're 18, 19, when your parents don't have financial control over you, like right. most people do, right? you know, what are they going to do? And to me, it was just like, okay, so that's, that's the thing. It's like you attract like-minded people. So I kept pushing the good people away, yeah. kept getting more shady people in my life. And it was more, they were just there to co-sign the bullshit and ride the coattails. And right. when that all ran out, then they all went away. And, you know, so it was just kind of, so it was a sticky situation, but a lot of it was just growing up and dealing with a lot of things that, you know, 
I had to deal with. And so when was the first time that you said, oh my God, I might actually be an alcoholic or an addict? I mean, it was probably in the middle of all that was going on. I probably knew, I, I mean, I knew when it was after the high school and I moved up to LA and I started seeing like, I started blacking out a lot and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, I mean, it wasn't like I couldn't pinpoint like, oh my God, I realized I have an, like, cause I was in the thick of things. It wasn't like. I was drinking so much that I couldn't even tell you exactly where it was. You know, it wasn't like one day I had this like, oh my God, I feel horrible for everything. I was just, I mean, I knew there was an issue and it was like, my disease was so deep that it was like, there was no stopping it at that point. It was like, then it went to, I mean, from all the car crashes, the fights, everything that should, I shouldn't have been around for after that. I mean, then it went into, you know, not contemplating, but taking 20 antibuse and, you know, potentially committing suicide so, so somebody so a doctor had prescribed you the interviews because you couldn't stop drinking correct it was part of a legal situation part of a legal mm-hmm. situation you were taking it mm-hmm. and i mean antibuse does not seem like a great way to try to kill yourself anyway no i think I, I could be wrong on this i don't know how many pills it was but i know the guitarist of the eagles died from antibuse okay right? i'm almost positive i don't quote me on that but I think he only had a few in his system. He tried to drink because it's like flu-like symptoms. Your but did body... you drink on them too? Oh, I took twenty of them, and pounded a fifth. Right, right, right. And what happened to you? My ex-fiance at the time, or my yeah, fiance at the time, but now ex. Uh, she saw me like what had happened. She saw the pills were gone. It was within like thirty minutes because I was in the living room and she called the paramedics. She was and, home. Yeah, she was home, and I was just kind of just chilling in the living room, not really wouldn't plan on anything. And then they rushed me to the hospital. Um, and they pumped your stomach, and so you never they put, had like, to like a black tar in it. It was crazy. Oh it was god! And you were al- awake for it, or not really? Uh, blacked out. I mean, right. I, that's the thing is, it wasn't like I was sitting there like totally coherent. I'm, like, I'm going to kill myself. It was more like, okay, I, I'm miserable as hell. I can't stop drinking. I can't stop this. Things just keep getting worse. I can't get out of it, or they just end it. And and so your thoughts before you did that was just that it was just like I can't get out of this. I was just so deep. It was just like legally, financially. I mean, just relation everything had just gone so i mean it was beyond rock bottom it was more of like because at the one i mean i had everything you could potentially you know want i mean right. materialistically girls right. houses i mean cars whatever you wanted i mean and i grew up fortunate too you right. know I, and i was raised right i knew the value of dollars and stuff i mean all that stuff just slowly started, my my you know good conscience and stuff like that started slipping away and i mean even when i had all that stuff like i said with the parties and stuff like that and Everything that was there is like when I was by myself, I was so lonely and so depressed, even though I could have a hundred people over or different right. things. It was just all for the, you know, for show. And it right. was, and when it came down to sitting there, I was the most uncomfortable person in my own skin. And, um, and yeah. so, and so you would go to treatment and would you co-sign? Would you pretend to be into it? Well, would so, you be into so it the, and then just relapse after? You no, know, it's like the first, I mean, cause I went to treatment the first time I was like 17, 18, 19. I mean, it was like, right. I was started going at 17, 18. Right. You know, it, like when we were talking about to go back, you know, like when the drinking started escalating and stuff, I did go to a treatment. It was more of like to appease the parents that it was because grades were, you know, and I was ditching school. It was more of like, okay, I'll go to treatment. It wasn't like I saw an issue there because right. that's when people started noticing, okay, there could be an issue. Right. But they just thought I was being rebellious and stuff like that, more of like attitude. They didn't right. think I was drinking. So, because I don't want to sound contradicting on what we've talked right. about before. So, when that was when it started happening, but it was the first six that I had gone to. It was more courts, girlfriends, family, to get right. people off my back. I'll go, yeah. I mean, Would you listen? Would you hear anything? No, I, yeah, that's why, I mean, literally, I have more knowledge and treatment than I do most school. You know I what I mean? Because right. I, like, nine years, and I mean, I went to pretty good places. I mean, I was working with the best doctors, and that sort of the thing. It was just like I wasn't vulnerable enough to open up and stuff like that. But when I was there, it wasn't like I was 
dicking around. I was paying you attention. Took it I wanted. Right. I took it in. And that's the worst thing, though, having a head full of AA and all this, you know, NA and right. all this stuff, and then a belly full of drugs. I mean, right. as they say, it was right. not, it wasn't very fun. The highs started becoming less and less appealing and more and more, you know, demoralizing. It was just not a good thing. And so when was the time that you were, so the last time you went, was it you were finally like, okay. Well, this is what, the, the big moment that changed was, I can't even remember, I need to, I, I'm working, it's funny, because I'm going to help you, have you help me with a book, because I'm writing just all You, you know, I wrote story. Tom Sizemore's book, by Did the way. Did you really? Yeah. No way. Yeah. Because well, I'm writing all these elements out, because I mean, I have, you know, sobriety dates July 23rd, 2010, so I mean, I'm, my head's starting to get more and more things of things that keep happening, and, but I remember like the moment, that turning point, so after the whole suicide thing, and I, it, the DUI happened actually at the end. Right. Uh, it was towards the very end. Right. My parents were just like... Okay, the, you know, that's a, that was, you know, after when I was saying, like, all the rest that happened in New York, Seattle, all the different times. Right. So the DUI was kind of, it was, luckily I wasn't driving, didn't hurt anybody. I was actually pulled over in a red. They were telling me to move. And that's when they rolled down the window. You could just, I was arguing with a girlfriend at the time and just reeked of alcohol. So luckily right. I didn't hurt anybody or anything, but we were in the, that all transitioned into. Was the hills over at that point? The hills were, yes. Okay. I mean, I wasn't on it anymore. I think right. I think it was when Kristen came back and it was like the last season. So, but right. I was kind of doing my own thing at this point. And I started move. I was back in Orange County and still up here, so I was going back and forth. And but I was pulled over, and but that transitioned us going to another. I mean, out of the thousand therapy sessions we went to with my family and stuff, where my dad, you know, like I said, the very close dynamic with them, you know, very respectable. He's you know he's intimidating too, in a, in a good way, just a business savvy kind of person. Right. And, me and my mom and dad are saying that, keep in mind, they've been married for 42, 43 years and stuff. And, you know, they got married at 18. Our family dynamic is super, super close. And, and uh, But he sat there and he just, you know, he, he started breaking down. I've only seen him cry one other time when his mom died. Um, and he just sat there and he was just like, you know, my, our relationship, you know, our marriage is suffering. Not that they're going to get divorced and right. stuff, but... You know, there's no intimacy. There's no emotion left. And he, when he goes, we're, we're like two planks of wood laying in bed waiting for the phone call you're dead now you know it was past just getting arrested and stuff it's like right. okay, when he, that's when it was like okay i don't care i mean clearly i didn't care enough about myself you know because i wanted the, the suicide thing was probably a year before that you know and it, right. it wasn't transitioned enough into anything so but when i heard that i go i don't care enough about myself but i care enough about my parents and you know everybody else around so that was my motivation in the beginning because i honestly didn't care i was just right. like I'm i get that yeah and, you know that but that's where it's i don't want to it's for me in, in the big book and stuff like that it wasn't it wasn't for me in the beginning that's something that is right. different it was for my family and I think a lot of people have to do it for themselves don't get me wrong because it transitioned into my for myself after well it's like have you ever heard that thing in recovery they say don't kill yourself in the first year because you're killing the wrong person it's like you don't even know who you and let us love you until you love yourself like, 100% like an addict or an alcoholic doesn't care about him or herself well so you nailed that I mean but I think for a lot of people that come into it it's like well you had to hit bottom especially people that are not dealing they're, they're more like in the Al-Anon side or dealing yeah. with the loved ones like they have to understand sometimes there is a motivation from the other end yeah you know what I mean yeah. even though you know you can't guarantee I mean that's the hopelessness and the powerlessness that you're not gonna be able to fix them that's guaranteed but at the same time you can be a motivation for them well yeah and you did it for them until it hooked in and you saw and you were doing it, it was like six yourself. months until yeah. I transitioned into myself and that actually had a, life was getting better but I mean it was a full year before like you know things were way good and that's what I was told by my sponsees like or my sponsor he said you know get a year uh, and I, you know, because if you if you get a year and things don't change and your life isn't a lot better, 
I'll take you back with the you know a couple grand cash, drop you off right. at the bar that I guarantee your bar stool hasn't moved and your friends are still there. Right. I'll drop you off. Right. And a year came around, I go, yeah, I'm not going. You know, we can we can go to a meeting. See, interesting. My first year was dreamy and amazing every day, and, and I'm not even kidding. cloud over there. Yeah, and it made two, three, four really rough. So I envy those people, but I I envy, but I also don't get how you would stay. So like you got you got in and you were like depressed or what happened? No, it was just like I mean I was just I hadn't felt for so long. I was so used to just getting my way. I mean just a lot of that the ego stuff and just the entitlement and all that stuff. I mean it was hard when you have that and then it goes away. It wasn't like and that was the worst thing for me. But when right. all this stuff just it was just two different lives in itself. I mean I had all this everything. It's like how did all this and I look at like. Just different friends and different people that I'd lost and everything that they've gained. And it's like, it's almost like that looking like, okay, I've lost everything. I'm like over in this corner when I could have right. had everything. Right. Um, and so literally like you're, you're like, you're not like on a TV show anymore. Well, it's not even materialistic stuff. Right. It's just emotionally. It's like, dude, people are getting married. Friends are having kids. It's like, right. sweet, dude, I went through 10 different girlfriends in the last six months. Yeah, right. I, gay. I mean, just, just more of just the internal stuff. I mean, because materialists, I mean. Like I said, I grew up fortunate. I was, right. you know, and I, so and I, I gained that, more. Exactly. Like, and that, that's a part of my story. It's like I didn't have to experience crazy, you know, lifestyle growing up. I wasn't beaten. I didn't have trauma. I didn't right. have all this different stuff. That some people it, it turns into an addiction for them. You know, that transitions to them for an addiction. But well, my my theory, by the way, I mean, whatever, who cares? It's just my theory. But it's and it's not even that original. But it's just sort of you're born with a predisposition for alcoholism, and your circumstances can either exacerbate or diminish that predisposition. I totally agree. And so it's like trauma can certainly exacerbate it, but so can getting your ego fed in this like ridiculous way for no reason we're well, on the same point I, I believe it's a disease i believe it is yeah. and i believe that you're born with it I, exactly what you said is exactly the way i believe yeah it. i think there's different things that can instigate certain situations and and make things harder or you know or easier or worse um but that's that's the thing i mean you nailed it with saying that yeah but i yeah, i do think yeah i don't know the statistics drew told me once a crazy statistic oh yeah yeah this is this is a slightly off topic, but he heard it at a medical conference, and he said he's never seen it in print. And I completely googled trying to find it, and I couldn't. But it's a hundred percent of some doctors said a hundred percent of people who suffer from chronic pain were abused. I mean, I'm get, getting off topic, wow. but that's insane. No, that's crazy. But it makes so much sense. I could see that. Um, but so okay, so you are so you get sober. It's it's kind of rough, but you have a sponsor. You're doing the deal. Mm-hmm. You're not like being defiant or whatever. You go on celebrity rehab. How six months into that or something? Uh, I was. I ended up being clean. It was about going into it. I was only a couple months clean. So, so you get a call. Your agent's like, "Hey, Jason, you got an offer from Celebrity Rehab." Yeah, and you say what? And I was, I mean, at first, I actually got offered a couple of years prior to that. And I was like, no way, not yeah. doing that. Things are, I got all this other stuff going on. And, but like I said, it was more of when it came back around, I believe it resurfaced for a reason. And it wasn't like, I mean, and, and to work with Drew and, you know. And to, you knew him at that point? N- no, I never met him still. Okay. Um, but I did get offered, you know, through people out in New York, actually a PR firm that I knew wasn't working with. They were like, they want you on the show. And I was like, I'm not doing it. And, you know, just other things were going on and. So when it came around, it was kind of like I was getting clean. I was like, this could be an opportunity because a lot of that public humiliation had come out in those two years. You right, know? So it was kind right. of like a timing thing and everything. It just landed, and I was like, I'm going to take advantage of this. But were you like, oh, God, was part of you like, oh, God, what if I don't stay sober? It'll just contribute to the problem. Or you kind of knew you were committed at that point? I, was, I knew I was committed. I mean, but... You never you know, know. That's what I was going to say. I mean, it was a day at a time. I mean, yeah. trust me, there was multiple times where it was like, potential slips and stuff you know especially on the, when you were on the show no after the show and stuff and so right. i mean it was but it was 
it was initially for me was the best best thing I saw that could happen, especially with what, everything that was going on. I wanted to change my image to the public. So, and if I remember your season right, don't think I didn't watch this show obsessively. It like hits exactly what I'm interested in. Um, Tell the meter. Okay. Yeah. You know what? It's kind of become a recurring thing on the show that we actually discuss the meter. Not that, no, not okay. that listeners enjoy it, but it's fine. It's like humanity, yeah. you know, right? That's why I love podcasts because you actually, it's not this perfectly, you know, formed PR experience. I love it. So, so we have 15 minutes still? Yeah. We have tons of time. Well, 15 minutes still I got to be at the Okay. Bar. So let's do 10 more. And then and then we stop and then you're, you're gonna come back. I'm coming back. We're yeah, doing yeah, this yeah. Again. But no, but no, no, oh, no. Today? Well, hold on. Let's see. Well, let's see what we can get through. <laughs> okay. With, we're wasting. Like we, I just wasted thirty let's go, seconds. Let's go. We got okay. it. We got it. So okay. So you. Oh, what was my question? So you. So after somebody. Oh yeah. yeah so your season was the one with the other Jason who was like acted like a real douchebag. So you looked as like comparatively speaking because he was the one he was like instigating all that stuff with Janice yeah. and all that. So I mean like Janice and Jason. I mean and, and bless their heart. I mean they were suffering through a lot of yeah. I mean they're sick and that's yeah. the thing is you know they were going through a lot but I mean for me I was just taking sitting back taking, I just think of you sitting by the pool I like remember lots of you sitting by the pool and just, just observing like, well because I mean when I was spending time with Drew and Bob people I really respect and that are really knowledgeable about you know I took that in I really did and, right. and you know so after that show kind of you know went through and I was able to you know the public image it worked I mean there was different people that wanted me to do their marketing and stuff for them and you know over time but I mean, it landed me into a spot where, I mean, it goes, there's so much that happened in between, but I mean, just my sponsor got to a point too, because I'd just gotten paid, did all this, and I mean, my ego's still involved, oh, and, and uh, you know, I, I, he goes, you know, we're doing things differently, because his biggest thing was drop the ego, surrender, take yeah. evidence, and he's like, you need to get a job, and I right. was like, a job? Right. I've never had a job in my life, right. you know, growing up, I mean, nothing, I never reported to a boss or anything, so, right. and, you know, which was... You know, which was not a good thing cause, right. because it was very intimidating. And, you know, I'd never had a boss or anything. So long story short is through mutual connections and mutual friends, I had known people that own treatment centers. And I'd rather go work for a place where at least I knew the people posted to some random place that made an offer. And just, you know, I'd still feel awkward. And So you northbound, you went right there? without That was you knew the people? That, I knew some of the owners okay. at the time. And, and uh, you know, when I met with them, they were very... Um, you know, they were very apprehensive as well. Because, I mean, they, a lot of them knew me, and they actually right. tried helping me back in the, a while ago, oh, you know. Right. And so they were kind of just like, uh, you know, okay, we, we, we're going to take this chance with you, basically. So they basically independently contracted me, and I started doing client services and client advocate work there. Okay, so that's what your title is, client advocate? Or? That, that's what it was initially. So okay. Mike Netherton, you know, he, he was a, uh, one of the – he was the pre- vice president of Betty Ford Center for 21 years. Oh, okay. And then our other, I call him the Mickey Mantle of treatment. And then Paul Alexander, he was the first person to introduce collegiate programming into treatment. So you actually can go to school, get your, your KDAC, get your degree, get your GED, even take master's courses while you're in treatment. So those two together, I mean, it's like the Mickey Mantle and Babe Ruth of Yeah, of treatment. and this is in Laguna Beach. Where are they? This is in Costa Mesa, Newport oh, yeah. Beach area. Yeah, there's a lot of treatment there. There is. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that Mike from when he was at the Biddy Ford Center, he had created this position as the client advocate, which is basically like a sober mentor, sober companion. You know, so when when new clients would come in, you go see them in detox, get them acclimated, get them acquainted, and you honestly you just share your personal truths and experiences. You right. don't have that authoritative figure like a case manager or a therapist. So if clients are really struggling or something, you are, you know you you'll meet with them as they're in detox and stuff. But as they transition into the community, they're having they're just like. I, 
F this, I want to get out of here, I can't do this, you know. That's where they would send an advocate. And at right. Me at the time, it was just me. They'd send me over, I'd take them out, we'd go get coffee and take them out of the element of treatment. I was just going to sit down and see what's going on. And as that worked so much because, you know, they, that authority figure was removed exactly. and they'd just sit down and talk to you. And before they knew it, you know, they'd almost, they'd forget that you were worked there. You know, they'd right. talk to you as like the sponsor and stuff. And it really, I mean, our ACAs, which is leaving against clinical advice, went down like 80%. From having wow. something like that implement. Now we have a whole team that's developed around that. So we have a female and a male advocate, which I help oversee and do a lot of stuff with their alumni. Um, you know, I actually do a lot of, of marketing too. So when you do a lot of these group act, because I, I, I listened to you on Caleb, I know Caleb Vacan. Oh yeah, um, he's awesome. Um, he, I listened to you on his podcast, and you're like all this shark swimming and business like that. Like you're big into the beach stuff, well, and you and you bring that like a natural high. Well, that's that's another uh, an, yeah. So I mean, while doing the advocacy in the beginning, this was three three years ago. Mm-hmm. So I started with the advocacy, and I was like, look at these activities you guys have. I was like, they're okay, but they need to be. I mean, there's only so much miniature golf and bowling and movies you can do. Right. And this is when the, the company, you know, this is when they had 60, 50, 60 beds. So, I mean, they were big and growing, but, I mean, we have 100, 115 beds today. That is a lot. So, but, I mean, just with that, and we deal with, you know, the main demographic we deal with is 18 to 35. Um, but a big thing is the natural highs is getting these people. you got to have motivation to want to stay clean. And, if, yeah. you know, and doing activities and being able to experience that. And let, you know, your brain produces more potent chemicals than heroin, which is serotonin and dopamine. Right, and right. get that working right and stuff, it's... It's, it's pretty good. There's no feeling like when I catch a good wave or hit a perfect golf shot. There's no high that cocaine can give me like that or right. no amount of alcohol. And, but just to be able to really show them that they're, you know, that just, that's just tools for them. That's just something that they can actually look forward to and enjoy. You know, we have big activities every Thursday. We do two activities a week, one smaller, one bigger. And it could be anything from paintballing to deep sea fishing to bungee jumping. And, you know, parents at first are like, well, what the hell? I want to go. And it's like, yeah. you have to understand, a lot of these kids haven't genuinely laughed or had a good time in a long time. I mean, I've had a lot of my own family members go through and cousins and brother and stuff go through through northbound. And, you know, to genuinely see them laugh, it's been like five years and see them that, hey, you can finish a round of golf and not have to be smashed. You know, right. like when I used to play golf and I was using it, I was like, okay, where's the booze? Where's the cocaine? I don't care if I have my golf clubs or my golf shoes. Right. I could rent those when I get there, you know what I mean? And so it was just like to be able to really see that and show that there's, you know, a life worth living is super important. And so like, is it like you go there every day kind of a thing? I'm there every day. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm there every day. Are you going to get your KDAC or do something like that? You think? I actually have the certificate. I finished the course. I just need to take the same Oh, I'm in it at UCLA. I did a year. That is not easy. Okay, was, you didn't say it's easy. I was like, oh, certificate, whatever. Yeah, I, I, I did. Did you do it at UCLA? I, no, I actually did it. We provide it through our. Oh, you, through our, you have uh, your own schooling. School? We have an activity program there. Yeah. Oh wow! So you did all the coursework. You just haven't taken the test. Yeah. So through our academy, so we, we have a full men's core, a women's core. You know, and then we actually have an academy where people actually can go back to school while they're in treatment. And then we have like and a you Christian program. you provide all the teachers and everything? Well, so they actually will facilitate. We have like tutors and we have case managers and stuff in that. But they'll actually go to college. They'll actually right. go to UCI, Saddleback. So we'll actually get them. Because our whole thing is we promote clients going back out to their natural stressors and bring yeah. them back into a controlled environment. Because we want them to get reacclimated to life. And do you, you do know? outpatient there too then? We do. We're like the one-stop shop from right. detox to intensive IOP. How often? How, what's the average length of time somebody stays? Five to six months. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the reason why is because, I mean, a lot of the treatments I went to, you know, 30, 60, 90 days, it's not hard to stay sober when you're locked down in an environment. It's actually when you're able to live your life through the activities, through, you know, actually seeing that your life is getting better. We actually help with job placement, going back to school. And when you're doing all that, 
I mean, you're before you, you before you know it, your time's you're like, oh my god, that was five months has already gone by. Because I mean, you slowly transition into different phases, right. which allows you more freedom. So it's like the first thirty days, it's like a, you're on a tight leash to kind of see what you're doing, but everything's on you. You know, you have to do your you know steps one through three. You got to get a sponsor. You know, you have to do your step work. You have to you know there's certain things that you have to meet. And once you get there, you slowly start getting freedoms back, like your phone. You start being able to right. get deviations. You start going to outside meetings. You start going to places with your sponsor. You know, and then by 90 days, 120, if you're doing what's asked of you, you know, and everything's going well, I mean, you'd be fully in school, have a job and still live there and stuff like that. So it's really reintegrating people back into life. And we're keeping up with what society and everything's kind of depicting. We're not, you know, using the old model. That's the thing is when I go to these treatments and come out 90 days, it's like dropping you in the 405 saying, guess which way to go? Here's your phone. Here's your, your car. Right. Here's everything. And it didn't, to me, it's, it's, especially in the younger culture, just with the accessibility things, it's so important to really help people get back into life, you know? And that's where I think the, the average length of stay is people come in 30 days, like, I'm not staying a day longer, you know? And then by the time they're there, it's like they're extended and it's, they're right. very open to it because it's stuff they would be doing on their own if they weren't in this environment, right, you know? Right. So that's the thing is, I mean, yeah, it's super, you know, it's very structured. I mean, we have a, 120 employees so there's more employees than there are beds and, right. you know or there is clients so there's a lot you know we actually can really individualize people's program to what fits their need there's like the shell of the actual facility but you know in between i mean if somebody's really inclined with music or cars or different things we can help you know individualize their program to be able to do certain right. things that they enjoy while maintaining the full you know the programming that they're doing well this sounds awesome we got to have you down for a tour. For sure. For sure. So, okay, so this is great. How can people, so if people want to find you, you're on Twitter, of mm-hmm. course. Twitter, Instagram. Okay, you're on all those. And northbound. Um, livingsober.com, just how it's spelled. Livingsober. And you have a blog on there, right? I have a blog on there. I do a weekly blog for the Huffington Post. Yeah, and okay, and then where, where else are you? Like, you go. I do. You ta- you'll talk about, you know. I mean, I spoke at USC last week. I do. CNN, I do, yeah. I'm going to be doing that a lot more, hopefully. Do stuff with Drew. I, I mean, saw your blog post about going on CNN. It was really sweet. Oh, thank you. Did you see the one on Philip Seymour? No, I don't think I saw that one. I'm, I'm so cynical about going on those TV shows, and I I was really touched by, like, you were like, I'm on CNN. You know, like, yeah. like yeah, I'm was, just cynical. It was just, and it was more, that, that's the thing, is I'm using all these opportunities not to get back on into the, no. the limelights, more of to raise awareness, and like I said in the very beginning, to be able to relate to people. So, so if somebody came along and they were like, Jason, this is like the TV show. Um, you'd have to leave what you're doing and it's like yeah. is there any opportunity that would if like, it had to do with addiction and raise awareness yeah probably right. but if it has anything to do with like doing the hills or other shows like that no right <laughs> hard to hear so yeah no I think it's you know there's a there's an amazing opportunity right now to you know be a voice for this and you know it's 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 really sad I mean I've seen too many people die and I think that people need to start seeing that you know this is needs to be taken a lot more serious and my hope yeah. is in the next five years it's like it's not like breast cancer but i hope it's aware like breast cancer or, or right. aids or anything i hope my goal is in the next year is to have a walk downtown with, i'm uh, so down tell me, me what me my company Drew, can we're, do we're talking about I'm, that so, so i'll do whatever i can okay jason thank you so much thank you so much made it who was he i think that guy i think he got a ticket i think he got a parking ticket just so he could stay and keep talking about his passion for addiction and recovery. Don't pretend you weren't totally charmed by that guy. So um, follow him on Twitter. Um, Go and support him in any way you can. I know I will be doing that. And um, yeah, and tell me your thoughts. And don't be afraid. I, I I won't hear about your fear of giving this podcast 
bunch of stars on iTunes. That is nothing to fear. That is something to embrace. And I will love you forever for doing it.